Studies show that the two most important issues on the minds of most folk who come to church are vocation, that is what you're supposed to do, what we're supposed to do with our lives, and family, the relationships that we live in, how we're supposed to relate to each other as family, and how we are also to protect those we love. In this morning's passage, Jesus deals with both of these at once, but not in ways that make it simple. Right after he had spent time in the wilderness, the proverbial 40-day journey, that archetypal time for Jesus to discover truly who he was as the Son of God, to claim his particular identity as Jesus, right after that, he began to look for others to share in his ministry and mission in life. This ministry he called the kingdom of God. And this story from Matthew is how it started. Reading from Matthew 4, 12 through 23, may God open up to us an understanding of this word. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, saying, Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From this time on, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of God, or heaven, has come near. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. I've always wondered what it was about Jesus, his, his power, his draw, his sense of self, his charisma, his message, the, the urgent way he said the kingdom of God was at hand. I've, I've often wondered what was it that prompted these disciples to leave everything, to drop their nets and leave everything immediately and follow him. This was not just dropping what you were doing because you've gotten a call from your spouse to say that she has a flat tire at Roosevelt Mall. You can go there knowing it's a distraction, but it's not leaving everything. You'll get back to work. This was immediately, it said, they left it all to follow Jesus, whom apparently they barely knew at all. He had recently moved to Capernaum. They may have heard him preach and teach, 
in the temple, they may have heard him exclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. They may have expected him as a prophet, a child of God, but never in their wildest dreams did they ever imagine themselves giving it all up to follow him. Jesus walked by the sea where they were casting their nets, and he called them by name to come and fish for people. And as the story says one more time, immediately they dropped their nets and did so. To get a sense of how radical this really is, their nets and boats were the most important part of their lives. It was their valuable property. It would be like a long-range trucker selling his cab. But that's not the hardest part. It also meant that they would be turning their backs on their families. It might help to remember that in those days, the family was the primary means of support and security. It was a patriarchal family, and when a father had sons, it was expected those sons would follow in the father's footsteps in his occupation to help support that family and the parents when they grew older. That's why in this text, three times it says, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Zebedee, they left their father. When these disciples immediately left everything, this was not a private decision like in your 20s, quitting your job and going back to grad school. It affected the whole family who depended on them as well as the whole town. So I can't help but wonder what kind of power did Jesus have to affect this change? Maybe they were just miserable in their jobs They were looking for a way out of not only their job, but whatever dysfunctional family they had to see at home. They got up every day in the cold, dark, slipped on their scaly, fishing, smelling overalls, climbed into the same leaky boat, and with calloused and blistered hands, they rowed out into the lake. They would throw the net into the water. They would hope to catch something, and if they did, they would pull it back in, and then they would row back to shore. They would put the fish into a cart. They would roll it to the market. They would negotiate with the merchant. And after they found a fair price for it, they would then give 40% of it to the Roman tax. When they got home, it was not to put their feet up, but to mend their nets and fix the leaks in their families as well as the fishing nets themselves. And the next morning, they would get up and do it again. Maybe they were just waiting for something like Jesus to walk by and offer them a way out. Granted, there are times in life for all of us when that's not a bad option. There are plenty of people who face the drudgery of the day, day after day, in their work or in their homes. We find ourselves maybe in a mess that we didn't intend, but nevertheless we are. And there's no hope of untangling it. The only way out is to bolt. Like the young man who found his girlfriend was with child, and he didn't want either to be a father or to be married, so he joins the army as an exit strategy 
I knew a couple in Atlanta. He was a lawyer at one of the big two law firms there who hated his job, but he was good at it. He worked 70-hour days. One day he found out that his wife was having an affair with the children's karate teacher. The karate teacher. How lonely and abandoned she must have felt to give up so much of her life for those false moments of affection. Their marriage broke up, of course, and two years later, he ended up quitting his job at the law firm and entering seminary to become radically an Episcopal priest. Radical indeed. Maybe it's that Jesus just caught all the four soon-to-be disciples on a real bad, miserable day. Only not. While this may seem a plausible explanation, it doesn't work. In John's gospel, in fact, after the disciples had followed Jesus and Jesus was crucified and then raised from the dead and then ascended and left them, the first thing they do is, let's go fishing. They go back to work. It wasn't about needing an exit strategy to escape the dreary, tangled life, but apparently something else that inspired them to leave it all immediately. Okay, so maybe it was Jesus' personality, his manner and method with them, his boldness as he called for them to completely change their lives and follow him. No doubt his personal strength and charisma pulled people in like a magnet. The way he looked at them in the eyes as if he saw into them their heart of hearts, or the way he spoke their name as if he had known them since they were born. It's true that some people are quick to follow almost anyone if they show some care and confidence and have some idea where they're going. Remember that scene in Forrest Gump when, to grieve, he begins to run. He doesn't know where he's going. He just starts running, and all of a sudden, somehow, he gets some press, and people start following him, running, too, thinking he's a cult idol. And so he's running year after year, apparently, or month after month. He has a scraggly old beard. He's run through his tennis shoes, and after he's finally run his grief out, he stops and turns around and sees this long line of people behind him who are running after him too because he seemed like he knew where he was going. Only he had no idea. And he turns around and looks at him like, why are you here? He begins to walk back home, leaving them all in nowhere's land. Unfortunately, it happens too often. Family I know is still grieving over the loss of a daughter who gave herself up to follow the Reverend Sun Young Moon in the 1990s. And even though the Mooney scam came to a screeching halt when he died, she is still wandering around out there looking for someone to give herself over to. There's a part in each of us, yes, that wants to give ourselves over to someone like this so that we don't have to grow up and make life's hard decisions for ourselves, be it Bertie Madoff or Jim Jones or some politician who promises to make everything right. But this theory of needy and dependent disciples doesn't work either. They had obviously shown industry and responsibility and strength in the work that they had done up to that point. Plus, as any good employer knows, Jesus wasn't looking for those kinds of easily persuaded 
people to be his disciples, as history would show. But strong, devoted, responsible, sometimes hard-headed stock who were not quick to turn on whatever warm wind blew their way. While Jesus did have an incredible innate sense of self-identity and confidence in a profoundly loving, caring way with people, his personality alone is not enough to draw these disciples out of their boat. He didn't persuade everybody, remember, especially those with power and wealth, because it was just those who felt he was threatening their seats of power which I think points to the real reason those disciples left it all. His message. It was simply this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Surrounded by a world of injustice, where the temple and the Roman power structure controlled everything, especially who was in God's favor and who was not. Jesus' message was one of liberation and freedom and hope for a new world order. A new world where God was available to everyone, no matter whether they were Jew or Gentile or Greek, slave or free, male or female, no matter their sexual orientation or what political party they voted for. Repent, he said. Turn around, for there is something you need to get back to that is so urgently important. It is worth giving everything up in order to find. And it's called the kingdom of God. And it is at hand, he said, right here within reach, as close as the air we breathe, a place and a time where you and all your loved ones will find that you are in God's grace and favor, God's presence. And you don't even need to go to a priest to get it. Follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of people which is to say that in every case when it comes to following Jesus, it is always about people caring for them and serving them and forgiving and loving them just like Jesus did. In every case, the kingdom of God is found wherever we take the gifts we have been given and give them back for the sake of others through justice, love, forgiveness, and peace. So I think for the disciples that day, this must be the reason worth leaving everything to give their lives to. It was Jesus' mission and his message that moved them. It begs the question, of course, for us. Do we need to do something this radical? Do we need to leave everything like them in order to find this kingdom? Please, do not quit your jobs, and go to seminary. We have plenty of clergy ministers. What we need are ministers out in the world on the front lines as bankers and contractors and housewives and husbands and students and nurses and and business people. 
That's your ministry. But for us, the question is, how far do we go depends. And what it depends on is whether we are so blinded by the kingdom of darkness in which we now live that the only way out is to start over, to repent, to turn back, to leave whatever the darkness is around us and to start on a new way home. There's an article in the paper last week, you may have seen it, written by a man named Sam Polk, titled, For the Love of Money. He begins his article with this. In my last year on Wall Street, my bonus was $3.6 million, and I was angry because it wasn't enough. I was 30 years old, had no children to raise, no debts to pay, no philanthropic goal in mind. I wanted more money for the same reason an alcoholic needs another drink. I was addicted. He goes on to describe how he got this way starting eight years earlier while an intern in college for Credit Credit Suisse First Boston, discovering the huge sums of money that his bosses were making in salary and bonuses, and he worked his way up to a job making a million, $1.75 million, not counting his bonuses as a derivatives trader doing bond and credit default swaps. He was dating a good-looking blonde, could get front-row tickets from his traders to any theater event or athletic event until one day his whole world changed when sitting in a corporate strategy meeting with his bosses He began to listen to them griping furiously about how the new hedge fund regulations were going to hit them in their pocketbooks. From that moment on, on Wall Street, he saw the new reality of it with different eyes. He started seeing the lot of them as addicts who would do anything for the next fix, so addicted to money that it controlled everything about them came to see that while he was good in math and trading derivatives, that the world was no better for it, maybe even worse, because of what he did was to profit from the problems in the world. So eventually, as hard as it was, he came to terms with himself, and he left. He quit. And facing withdrawal, just like every other addict, anxiety and sleeplessness and and fear and panic, he started to find a new sense of himself, what he'd been looking for all along, a new vocation in life that mattered, and that for him was to serve others. He also found a relationship that mattered, and he got married. Now he speaks in jails and to juvenile detention centers about getting sober, teaching a writing class to girls in the foster care system, and has started a nonprofit for poor families struggling with obesity, he says, I am much happier. I feel like my life matters, and I'm making a real contribution. He shares in the article that not all wealthy persons are addicted the way he was, but looking back, he thinks most on Wall Street probably are. Sometimes the only way out is to start over So how about us? Are we supposed to leave everything in order to find this kingdom of God? Again, it depends. 
depends on where we are with ourselves and with each other and what we believe is ultimately important in life. My sense is that we all need to leave something every day, at least, to step out of our own boats of addiction and security and risk ourselves for the sake of God's kingdom and for others. In the end, of course, it is for ourselves as well. Each of us, in our own way, it depends. When we hear Jesus call our name, each of us must search our souls and find out how much we do need to leave in order to follow the way of Jesus. Here's the question Frederick Buechner raises, and I think it sums it up. It's in his book, The Magnificent Defeat. Are there in us, in you and in me now, that recklessness of the loving heart, that wild courage, that crazy gladness in the face of darkness and death, that shuddering faithfulness even unto the end of the world through which new things come to pass? Each of us need and must answer that question for ourselves. And we will, sooner or later, if we're going to find that which we are most desperately searching for, by God's grace, may it be sooner. Let us bring forth the gifts of our lives and our labors.